0: Aurora of the Yukon, Chapter 4 A Telegram from Soapy Smith Big fire at the house. Please send money for doctor as soon as you can. Telegram from my Aunt Josephine, received in Skagway, Alaska, June 29, 1898. Even I took D'Artagnan back to our hotel. Well, back to our tent. Mama was waiting for us. At first she wanted us to give D'Artagnan to someone else, but even I begged to keep him. Finally she agreed to let us keep him, but just for one week. We saw Kitty and her friend trudge by carrying backpacks. They waved and said they were headed for the Chilkoot. Even I went outside to play with D'Artagnan in the alley beside the tent. I'll never forget that moment. The sun was bright and warm, and there were no clouds in the Alaskan sky. It was perfectly blue. The air was so clear you could see the snowy mountains around Skagway, like through a telescope. All around us, Alaska was growing as fast as it could, around the clock in the midnight sun. The grass was long, and the rhubarb was taller than me. I even remembered the smells. One minute, the rich, hot air was full of the smell of Alaskan trees. The next minute, a puff of cooler air from the mountains that smelled as clean as a glacier. There was a young man sitting in front of the tent beside ours. He was leaning back in the sun with his boots in the air. He was about 20 years old and was slim and handsome, with a big bit of uncombed hair that just fell across his forehead. He had bush clothes on, which means the kind of clothes you would wear carrying your gear over the Chilkoot. When he saw me looking at him, he smiled. That's a great dog you've got there. He'll make a great sled dog. Can I throw a stick for him? He said his name was Jack London. When you looked closer at him, you could see he didn't look as healthy as a young man should. He was even missing a few teeth, but he was in good spirits and threw the stick for the dog. D'Artagnan loved to fetch sticks. Mr. London could throw far. Every time, D'Artagnan would get the stick. Come on, bring it to Jack, he would shout, but D'Artagnan would always bring it back to Eve or me. I was going to offer to buy him from you, but it looks like he likes you guys too much, said Jack with a laugh. I was already getting to know the different English accents. Jack sounded American, like Kitty. Not at all like Mrs. McGregor. Even I told Jack the story of the man with the club. Is that right? He seemed very interested, especially in the part about D'Artagnan being stolen from a judge's house in California and becoming so wild as he fought with the man. I think you're right, miss. Think of a dog leaving the big city and coming to Alaska. A dog would change right away. Why, it's the law of the club and fang up here. The very heart of the primordial. I had to write that word down in my diary and look it up later. It means something that has been around since the start of the world. Alaska feels like that, as if it is the place where things are still wild, like they were everywhere before people came. Jack was quiet for a moment, like he was thinking. Sometimes he just stands and stares into the mountains, I said, as we looked at D'Artagnan. It's like he can hear the wild calling him. That's exactly it, miss, the call of the wild. What a story that dog could tell, he said finally. Jack started telling us stories. He was the best storyteller I had ever heard. There was one about a woman named Mercedes and her friends. They left Skagway with an overloaded sled and not enough dogs and didn't know what they were doing. They weren't careful and went right through the ice in the Yukon River. They were never seen again. Jack called them chachacos, which means newcomer to the North Country. Old timers are called sourdoughs. Eve and I were so caught up in the story, we didn't even hear another man walk up beside us. Are you Jack London? You bet, smiled Jack. I'm Frank Reed, the town surveyor. He looked grim, like a schoolteacher dealing with a bad kid. They told me you were at my office. What's this they hear about you wanting the deeds to One-Eyed McCallion's land on the other end of Broadway? Oh, no, sir. I don't want the deeds. One-Eyed's brother is coming up on that boat from Seattle next week. The land is for him. one eye thinks he should stay in Skagway and start a store instead of risking his skin in the Klondike. Well, where's one eye? Stuck down in Dawson City after a nasty wrestle with a bear. But that's another story. I promised him I'd come up to Skagway and bring the paperwork. Are you wondering why he said down in Dawson and up to Skagway, when if you look at a map, Dawson is at the top and Skagway is at the bottom? It's because you travel by river in the Yukon, and Dawson is downstream. Everyone would know you were Chichaco if you said you were going up to Dawson. Anyway, Jack reached into his tent and grabbed a big envelope. I've got a whole bundle of legal papers from a fancy lawyer in Dawson City for you. They should back up the story. "'I just brought them here as a favor for one eye. "'I reckon he saved my life back on Henderson Creek last winter. "'This seemed to make Mr. Reed feel better. "'I heard there was a fellow on Henderson Creek "'who kept the miners entertained all winter "'with stories about all manner of things. "'He smiled at Eve and waved his cane at him like a sword "'as he talked to us. "'Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. London. "'I was just afraid you were one of these con men. "'The town's full of them. "'I forgot to ask my mom that night what a con man was. "'I don't think she would have known. "'Anyway, we found out ourselves soon enough.' Just after Mr. Reed left, Mr. Cicero showed up. It was almost like he'd been waiting for Mr. Reed to go. Well, my friends, it's time I lived up to my promise to take you to the telegraph office. Your family must be worried sick about whether you made it safely to Alaska. We walked down Broadway. Just as we were passing a building marked Jeff Smith's parlor, a man in a big hat stepped out. He had a black beard and a big round hat. He had a nice vest and a suit, but it was his eyes that I remember. They were small and seemed to look at you hard for a minute, then jump away to someone else. "'Hello, Soapy,' said Mr. Cicero. "'Headed for the telegraph office, I hope,' said Soapy, almost with a snarl. "'You bet. Nice day for it,' said Mr. Cicero quickly. Soapy looked at us. He put on a fake smile and said, "'Hello, children,' in a fairy-tale sort of voice. "'I could tell he was the kind of man who thinks kids are stupid.' "'Good afternoon, Mr. Soapy,' said Eve. "'Let's go, kids,' said Mr. Cicero. "'We, of course, asked Mr. Cicero who Soapy was. "'His real name was Jeff Smith. Soapy was just a nickname.' How did he know we were going to the telegraph office? I asked. Mr. Cicero stuttered for a moment, which was unusual. Well, er, he's a businessman, and, um, businessmen need to know everything that's going on. And why do you call him Soapy? asked Eve. Er, you'll have to ask him that yourself. The Dominion telegraph office looked like the most permanent building in Skagway. Even the bank seemed like just a tent with wood stuck on the outside, in comparison. There was a great big pole right in front, with wires that snaked behind Broadway towards the water. Mr. Cicero, I asked, did they really put wires under the ocean all the way to Vancouver so we can send telegrams? You bet, sweetie, he said. They've got one between New York and London under a whole ocean, so I guess Skagway to Vancouver isn't too far. Sure is handy, though. In the office, they were very nice. It was expensive. They charge you for each word, so you have to write short messages. Ours was just eight words in English. It translated to just seven. We safe Skagway. Leave for Yukon soon. The clerk was a boy a few years older than me. They called him Jimmy Blackball Houlihan. I don't know why everyone in Alaska has to have a nickname, but they do. Blackball asked us lots of questions to make sure he had the address right and the names of the people we were sending it to. Then he even let us watch as he sent it to Vancouver. He tapped it out on a machine in what they call Morse code. Each letter has a combination of dots and dashes. An E is one dot. An A is a dot dash. A K is dash dot dash. So our message sounded like just a lot of clicks. The Telegraph Office in Vancouver can understand it too, said Blackball. They write it down and then send it to the next city, and so on, until it gets to your Aunt Josephine in Montreal. As we left, Mr. Cicero smiled at Blackball. Good job, boy, he said. We waited in Skagway for a while as Mama tried to figure out how we were going to get to Uncle Thibault's if there wasn't a train. Sometimes Mama would send me to the Telegraph Office to see if our family in Montreal had written us back. Finally, one day, there was a message. Blackwell gave me a fancy Dominion telegraph envelope made of nice paper. I ran back to our tent and gave the envelope to maman. She opened the envelope, then shrieked and dropped it to the ground. Eve grabbed it, but he couldn't read, so I snatched it from him. Grand feu maison. Envoyez mon vite pour hôpital. In English, this would read something like, Big fire house. Send money fast for hospital. It was signed by Tante Josephine. The telegram put all of us in a tizzy. Which house? Who got hurt? Why do they need money? I asked. But Mama didn't know, of course. The telegram was all we had, and Montreal was five thousand miles away. Mama rushed down to the telegraph office and sent home most of our money. She also sent a long and expensive message with our questions and sending our prayers. The first telegram had only taken two days to get to Montreal and come back. But we waited for days and days this time and didn't hear anything. I hope they are okay, I would say at night to Eve. Sometimes when Mama was asleep, I would read the telegram again. There was something strange about it. Tante Josephine was very proper, but the French in the telegram was very bad. Maybe she was trying to use fewer words, I wondered. But on the other hand, some of the words just seemed wrong. For example, Monet in French doesn't mean money in English. Monet means coins. And you wouldn't really say feu for a house fire. A proper person would say incendie. I told this to Eve, but he just said that Tante Josephine must have been more upset than the time he broke her special plate with a picture of Queen Victoria on it. Even though Tante Josephine was French-Canadian, she loved Queen Victoria. We were still waiting when the 4th of July came. This is Independence Day in America, and they have big parades everywhere, even places like Skagway. Eve and I ran down to Broadway to get a good spot. We stood right in front of the Red Onion Saloon, which is the best place to be if you ever go to the 4th of July parade in Skagway. It's the best spot because there is a good bench and you are close enough to the beginning of the parade that everyone in it still has candy to throw to the kids. The person leading the parade turned out to be Soapy Smith, Mr. Cicero's friend. He gave us another fake smile and threw some candy. He was wearing a big sash that said Grand Marshal of Skagway. Behind him was a banner for the Skagway Benevolent Fund, which Soapy had set up to help widows and orphans of men killed on the Chilkoot. Grand Marshal of Skagway, exclaimed a deep voice right behind us. It was Frank Reed. He spit into the road. The ice will freeze and... He suddenly he noticed us and stopped. He smiled like a guilty man. Er, um, Hawaii. The ice will freeze in Hawaii before Soapy Smith is fit to be any town's grand marshal. But he's Mr. Cicero's friend, said Eve. Yes, I said. We met him on our way to the telegraph office with Mr. Cicero. Cicero and Soapy Smith. Those two are in cahoots. That's an Alaskan word that means people who do bad things together. He suddenly froze. Did you say you went to the telegraph office? I quickly told him about the fire and how Mamal sent our money back to Montreal. That's the last straw. Widows and children. He's got it backwards with his benevolent fund. "'You're supposed to give your money to the widows, not the other way around,' he exclaimed. "'I don't think I've ever seen anyone so angry before. "'Not stamping his feet and shouting at you, just quiet and determined, fiercely angry. "'I've got to talk to your mama, kids. "'The wire coming out of that telegraph office doesn't go to Seattle or Vancouver. "'It's just tied to a stump down by the water.' "'Without saying another word, he stomped across Broadway. "'He went straight through the parade without looking left or right, "'almost knocking over the fellows carrying the Liarsville Friends of the Eagles Lodge sign.' I watched as he spoke to two other men, then all three of them walked quickly away.